0: Welcome to the T-Squared Dads Brown Bag Podcast. Here's your hosts, Kyle Baker and Dieter Burrell. All
1: right. Hey, thank you, Curtis, uh, for, for, for joining me on this podcast. I wanted to kind of just let everybody know that um, Curtis Reed, he's a licensed architect and he works for Bayer General Contracting. If I'm saying it correctly, I, I I invited him to come to this podcast so that he can tell us a little bit about his his background, um, what university he went to and how he kind of stumbled into into working with with these contractors. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yeah. about your history.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Dieter. Um, pleasure to be here. Uh, known you for a couple of years now. It's been a a pleasure working with you on the the instances that we do get to work together. Um, Yeah, my journey to where I'm at has definitely been a little bit different than the traditional path. Uh, Started out at Mississippi State University, um, where part of the curriculum, as you're in the second semester of second year and the first semester of third year, um, it branches off a little bit and you actually partner up with the building construction science department. So in our education, we get a lot more exposure to the construction side of things. And we actually get the real world experience of having to estimate a project and actually doing the hands on construction of some physical built projects while still in college that are on a lot larger scale than most architecture schools are with. So I did work uh, in a traditional architecture firm for a number of years up in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, moved down to Pensacola and still continue to work for that firm remote for a bit and then uh, got picked up by Bear general contractors to kind of bring a lot of the technology that's used on the architecture side into the general contracting profession where they don't typically have a lot of technology on site. Um, So yeah, we're integrating 3D modeling and we've got drones that work out there. We've got GPS services with some of our site utility equipment. So it's a lot of tech in my role that kind of just gets integrated and tries to make our entire process a little bit um, more hands-off and a little bit faster to operate.
1: So, so, so you're, you're a Mississippi state, so they have a, a what a five-year degree or? A, a yeah. Five-year
0: bachelor. And I, I took some sweet time with that. I think from start to finish, I started in 2012 and finished up in 2019 with a, a full year co-op in there. So I took a little bit of a victory lap, but made it eventually. And that's the important part.
1: Were you a big a football fan?
0: Um, you know, going into it, I couldn't care less about uh, college football, but it only took about one year to really get into it and see the environment of it. Yeah. Now I've got I think I keep a cowbell in my car at all times, just in case if I ever need to ring it at someone. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to college football season in a few weeks.
1: I know, I know that when I went to the University of Florida, I uh, I didn't, I wasn't into the Florida Gators. I actually was a Dolphin fan, and then became a <laughs> little bit of a Hurricane, you know, Miami Hurricane. Mm-hmm. But I, I think just the college experience, it, it, you get you get pulled into that whole you know college football <laughs> there's no mentality. avoiding it
0: you have to be a part of it yeah <laughs> and it helps that uh the first year I was there we were not a great team but um I was there for the Dak Prescott years so that was pretty exciting to see and the team was number one in the country for a number of weeks um it didn't last forever and it definitely won't happen anytime again soon but yeah that kind of environment transforms you pretty quick into into being a big college football fan
1: Gotcha. So so when you graduated and uh, so you stayed you stayed in Mississippi or did you kind of travel somewhere? Um,
0: Now, Mississippi's got a pretty decent problem with um, brain drain. Mississippi and Alabama kind of both do where uh, they do anything they can to try and retain you in state. But, yeah, the first the the main years of the the curriculum for architecture in Starkville, Mississippi, which is kind of just in a desert in the middle of nowhere. um, There's not many opportunities in uh, that size city. The last year of school, they send you to Jackson, Mississippi, which has kind of had its problems of its own. Um, And they're losing a lot of people out of state, too. So from those, um, I had a full year co-op in Montgomery, Alabama, back to Jackson, Mississippi for my last year and then back over to Alabama when I graduated for about three years. So now never besides school, never, never really stayed in Mississippi.
1: Yeah, John. How long did it take you to get licensed? We, we always have like a spectrum of people, especially the older guys. <laughs> they take, they, it takes them almost 10 years to get licensed and some people just like within mm-hmm. you know, a few years to get licensed right away. So I'm
0: definitely yeah, definitely on the low end of that spectrum and I'll, I'll feel free to talk through any of the process that kind of helped me pass those pretty quick. Um, a lot of it behind it is kind of having a, a supportive firm that gives you the materials. We had study materials provided to us and I, I used to work for a company called CC and Litchfield in Montgomery, Alabama and they they have a very developed program of training interns I think they took on something like 30 summer interns this year I mean they take wow. just a ridiculous amount because they've got a ton of work and they've always been really good about that we would about double in size over the summer um, but we had access to study materials and if you passed the test they reimbursed the cost of it so a lot less risk of going in there for a first time and not having to kind of put up the money if you felt confident you could pass um, but I graduated in I guess May of 2019. And my plan was to take one exam per month and get them all knocked out in six months. So December of 2019, I passed my sixth exam without failing any of them and was licensed in six months. <laughs> that's, that's,
1: that's amazing. So. I, I heard also, I don't know if, uh, Jordan Lee, if you've ever met him, I, I heard that he, mm-hmm. he was able to take all his tests within a year or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and I knew another and, gentleman, Two, Craig Dupuy, he used to work with me at STOA. He also went through mm-hmm. that same process and he passed those things
0: fast. Yeah, there, there were a couple people and part of it is kind of just making the competitive environment to it. If you have a couple people that you're kind of racing against, we had a big board that was hung in the side of the office and you'd get to move your little cut out of your head onto the next test as you passed each one. So it's if it's a competitive nature, sometimes that kind of makes you try a little <laughs> bit harder and saying, I got to make sure I can do what I can to to pass on the first try, but we had a couple people that were under a year um, to pass all six exams. And yeah, me and I think one of the other guys at the time were around six to eight months through it. And so it it was a process. I mean, it was was me getting out there and um, I lived across the street from the office and pretty much every single day, I didn't have social media during this time period. I would um, get off work, walk across the street, study for a couple hours, Go to the gym eat dinner study for a couple more hours so it's it's a rigorous routine that it takes but it's definitely something that's possible
1: yeah but you knocked it out fast and then and then <laughs> you moved on so w- w- mm-hmm. w- w- once you got licensed um what did you did you stay with the company uh for a while mm-hmm. and then kind of moved on
0: yeah so i was so i was with that company um for probably about three or four years total one of those years was the co-op at first and then yeah within my first six months of being back i got licensed there um, while I was in the, the test taking mood, I also got lead AP certification after all those ones, just to kind of have that knocked out as well. Um, because I, I, you and I both know it, the longer you kind of let it go, the more busy you get and the more things kind of get in there. And yeah. if I had to take, if I had to have that study routine for, for the six exams these days, I don't know if I'd be able to find that time anymore. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's just ripping the bandaid off and getting to it before you get too busy, you know?
1: it happens to a lot of the students and a lot of the interns that i've seen where they where life just becomes overwhelming they have they get Mm -hmm. married they have kids you know and all of a sudden the kids just eat your eat your your time up (laughs) they're time consuming yeah it (laughs) it does you know and then you have all the work engagements and everything else Mm -hmm. and it just kind of overwhelms people a lot of the times you know it's like it's just too much and that's why they end up perpetuating and i hate that NCARB and I don't know, maybe it, it, it be hate is maybe too strong of a word, but <laughs> I, I dislike that NCARB kind of created that five-year window that, and also you the, start rolling dropping, yeah, the rolling yeah. clock. Yeah.
0: So they've, they've since rescinded that. And I think that was a big push during COVID when people's schedules got thrown all out of whack. So yeah, if, if that was something affecting you in the past, luckily I think that they've gotten rid of those, those requirements now.
1: Yeah. Um, in the offices that you worked in the past, um, did, what was the culture did you did you guys have a really good culture depending on where you where you worked at or did you um, have a lot of it, conflicts you know with yes staff? Uh,
0: i've no i've never i've never worked in a in office that was too confrontational um when i worked at cc and litchfield it was uh that was the third company i worked for so i had had two previous um summer internships back up in st louis through my first couple years of school and those were very small mm-hmm. firms it was a small residential and then a small commercial so This firm was more medium size. And um, I think the thing that makes kind of the biggest difference in how you like to operate, there's like the vertical structure of a firm or a horizontal structure of the firm. The horizontal being, I think, if you start the project, you take it all the way through CDs, you take it all the way through construction administration. I might have these reversed, but it's one person kind of managing the project from start to finish rather than a firm where someone does the construction documents and then they pass it off to a different department to write the specifications. So the firms that I've always worked in, um, the the way that I like to, to manage projects is you're attached to it from the start to the finish. Drawings, you are the person that did the specs. And I think that makes a big difference in kind of the culture because you don't have this department pitted against that department and saying, why would you do it this way? Why would you do it this way? You didn't transmit this. I think that kind of helps resolve a lot of the issues there.
1: Um, you know, I get a lot of people, or some people, when I was working at a, a, another company before I, I went out on my own. Was mm-hmm. I think the biggest failure that occurs in bigger companies is that you come out of college, they put you in a niche to just draw, mm-hmm. w- draw all the time, and and they <laughs> bathroom don't, details
0: they, and <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. and, you, and you you don't get the whole full spectrum from start meeting the client, going through the process of you know meeting with your engineers, you know, figuring out the details, figuring out the structure, figuring out the design, and mm-hmm. then, you know, going through the whole construction process, administration, et cetera, and then closing out documents. They don't, you don't get to see that. I realized that when I was working at a big firm in Miami and then going to a small firm, I think the small firms do give you more of that spectrum.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I've never personally worked at what I would consider to be a large firm. And that is kind of the comments that I hear sometimes and nothing against the way that they operate. Obviously, they handle projects on a much different scale than we were capable of doing. But I have heard so many people that kind of just get so siloed or pigeonholed into this is what I do. And I, I know how to do this. And I can't really get outside that box because now that I'm good at this, they bring me to that for everything. Um, yeah, when you're when you're with the smaller companies, it's, only three or four people sometimes. And it's one of those, you have to be the guy at the table for the first meeting, and you've gotta be the guy out at the field for construction administration. You gotta wear a lot more hats when you when you kinda of have to cover all the bases there, which if I'm gonna advise anyone for an internship anywhere, I would say start at a small firm so you can see the wide range. It might not be as big and high profile work that you think you wanna see in the magazines or something, but it lets you really experience from start to finish because they need people at all those bases.
1: Right. So, so you're, you're, you're doing your business, you're, you're in your company, you kind of migrate and all of a sudden, how did you, how did you land in Pensacola?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my, my wife is actually born and raised in Pensacola and she went off to Mississippi state. We met up there and she got a good job. She works with the hospital systems here in town. Um, And I was up in Montgomery, Alabama and i was like you know wouldn't be wouldn't be the worst thing to move down to um Pensacola for the beaches a little bit better beaches in Pensacola i always say than Montgomery um not that i didn't enjoy my time there or anything but um yeah having the opportunity to move down here um definitely a great place to be i really really enjoy it
1: so so you came here you landed a job what was your first job with bear
0: um yeah so it was actually while i was at cc and litchfield architects um I don't know if I'd want to share the screen to show a picture of the project. We had, um, we had done a lot of kind of historical architecture projects around Alabama and we saw an RFP for renovations to the old Defuniak Springs courthouse project that was built in like the 1920s. Um, we were trying to expand into Florida a bit and because of our experience, we ended up winning that project. I was the one kind of over top of putting together the drawings and I was down here already meeting with general contractors to try and find people to bid the project. Bear ended up bidding the project and won it. So, kind of on the early stages of me handing off to the GC, I started to meet the guys. Kind of got ingrained and got an offer to kind of start something a little bit more experimental on this side. So, I was I was kind of playing for both teams on that one. And there'd be a problem that pops up, and they point back to, "Well, who drew it?" And I was like, "Oh, that was me that drew it."
1: <laughs> what year was that? I'm trying to. You said it.
0: Um. Yeah, I want to say that that was. I think it was during COVID. I think it bid in late 2020 or early 2021 Mm -hmm. and construction just wrapped up uh, July of 2022.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So you you, you went, you went to bear and they said, Hey, we need an architect and we're going to do what, I mean, did they brainstorm with you or did you bring something to the table that said, I got great ideas guys, we're going to do this.
0: No, I've got to give them credit. This was all something on their own of, uh, their leadership kind of saying, hey, I heard about this term VDC, where you kind of integrate technology on that side with the construction things. We think that could help us give an advantage. It was nothing on my radar whatsoever to to make a jump like that. Um, I actually kind of operated an office down here for the other firm um, where I was doing a lot of DOD kind of military work. And this opportunity came directly from them saying, hey, this is something more experimental and all the work that we do is on the commercial side. We don't really handle anything federal. So it was kind of a change in pace in what I'd be working on. Um, And really just for the the connections that I think it offered. I mean, it's one of those being in Pensacola, I wasn't too connected to anyone here, but as soon as I kind of jumped ship and started working for Bear GC, it's one of those I can walk down the streets and I can tell you who probably owns these buildings and what they're planning on doing with them. It's a lot more insight and under the hood with a, a city that's kind of as connected as Pensacola is, so... Just a and unique opportunity all around,
1: and it's and it's growing. And, and you know, you, and you touched on a few things. You know, using drones, you know, uh, mm-hmm. three dimensional wa- walkthroughs, integrating all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, this new technology. And you know, there's probably a lot of students out there that are, they're, they're, they always wonder. And I think even in the in the field of architects, because you listen to the architects, and I've worked for like the three biggest firms in Pensacola, and mm-hmm. there isn't this dialogue like you're you're having right now, and you're sharing what Bear, Bear is trying to achieve, you know, with mm-hmm. your help, did you, did you have to go through like some sort of like seminar to try to see what things to implement into the field of construction that that'll help them?
0: It's it's kind of trial and error, really, and, and a lot of the times it's not even the tech necessarily on things that can make the biggest improvements. It's me saying, well, I've worked somewhere else. This is how we used to kind of manage, or one of the first things that I did when I came over is our file system on our back end of where we save everything was really kind of brought over from someone else's past company, and there was a lot of information we weren't using. I made an Excel sheet that tracked down every single branch of every single file, and I showed what we're actually using. And it was less than half. So I revised our entire our entire file saving structure to really just kind of streamline and make sure that our PMs and superintendents aren't having to dig through a bunch of folders to find the information they need. It's, it, it's really just kind of, as someone like yourself who's an architect, you understand that the profession is definitely not just black and white. I mean, you quickly become a jack of all trades. So it's me kind of looking for any instance that I can make an improvement that helps someone else operate better. So we're kind of the go-to department of someone throws up a red flag saying, I've got this problem here. Is this something you can look at? And we'll say, yeah, we'll turn around a solution and have it back to you and try and help you out with RFIs or something like that if it helps you move the project forward. Um, yeah. There's definitely been some solutions that we've tried to implement. And it was things that after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, we were like, that's just not the way we need to do it. So trial and error also on what does and doesn't work.
1: Yeah, I've seen some video videos where uh, the contractors use, uh, um, I think it's some sort of mapping system that uses the computer and you can wear either an AR camera, uh, like glasses, mm-hmm. and then you can mm-hmm. walk around and you can see like the technical BIM modeling in space yeah. uh, with, uh, what do they call it, QR codes in certain locations. Mm-hmm. Um, are you guys so- kind of progressing into that to get better at
0: We've, we've seen that we do have a VR setup that we can, it's been a while since we've used it and it depends on what rendering program you're using. Um, yeah. Some of the first things that we did is putting yourself in there so you can see what it's like to be on the 12th story of a, a hotel high rise or something um, really gives you a kind of different perspective on what you're looking at and the scale of things. Um, being with this company, one of the things that it helped us kind of do is make connections with other companies in the area, not as a competitor. Um, so Brassfield and Gory, who's doing Baptist hospital, we were really ingrained with them to kind of see behind the scenes in their process. And the reason that our VDC department kind of got started is because they've got a pretty advanced VDC department. And I talked a lot with um, a girl over there named Pauline, who's a background of a civil engineer, but she manages VDC for the Baptist Hospital Construction. And they've got the big budget for I mean, they had those robot dogs walking around, they had the helmets with the AR goggles and stuff. They were kind of a test site for Brassfield and Gory to say, here's some new technology, throw it out here, see what you like. And they let us come out to the site, walk around the construction site, and, and see these kind of technologies too. So it was, they're really the ones that are the powerhouse We're about a half version of that that just kind of streamlines for what we think is effective. But yeah, they really, they really let us see what's going on in the world of that
1: you know it, it it's really awesome that you're sharing what uh, that our that contractor is doing because you know I've seen videos where bigger contracting groups implement these these new technologies and new methods of mm-hmm. kind of like capturing what's being done um, because I always get the <laughs> the when I've been working in other companies you get a phone call and say like, hey we're having some issues with uh, the cook, the the exhaust for the for the cook on this particular grill and mm-hmm. everybody opens the the ceiling up to, to see where that thing's routed to <laughs> because they can't figure out which one's going where and having a, a place to go to like a contractor where it has recorded, you know, exposed structure where mm-hmm. things are laid out. It helps a, a million, but that's the one yeah. thing um, that, i know that a lot of the times a client will call the architect thinking that they have developed <laughs> some method Something like of recording that. that but you it really mm-hmm. is going to you guys now and now you guys are becoming the the, the technology experts when it comes to that mm-hmm. and i'm super excited that bear is incorporating all these new uh technologies because it's going to you know push the company it, further further up there
0: yeah any like you were saying any any record you can have of existing conditions or conditions during demolition or renovation before you put the drywall on is a huge advantage i know that you've used matterport in the past and that's one of the things that that was one of the first things that i implemented because i had experience using that in the past and on our sites if it's going to be if we know it's going to be complicated um whenever we've got all the walls exposed before we put the sheetrock on we'll walk the camera through there and we'll just kind of save an archive model of that so if that comes up, we can say, well, here's what the inside of your wall looks like because we actually recorded it at one point in time. So, yeah, just having little things like that is it's all in an effort to save people's time. You know, it takes twice as much time to rip it off, investigate and and look back at it. So
1: do you have people underneath you that you're kind of helping them, like training them to do certain things that like use certain software and say, hey, it'd, it'd be great if like one, maybe, maybe one more person to, to know what mm-hmm. I do to help me?
0: Yeah. So um, I've actually got a a guy in the office. He's in a different office right now. His name is Baron Nikas, but he's got a similar architecture background with me from Mississippi State. He's a couple of years younger than me. Um, But what he brings to the table too is he's got a big background in photography and videography. Um, Marketing is half of what a company has got to be, you know, to kind of get attention and maintain in the spotlight. Um, We self-perform all of our finished photography. If we do any videography, all of our social media handling, even when it comes to like marketing documents where we're putting together RFPs, RFQs, or just a folder of stuff to hand to someone. Um, we do all that in-house to kind of save on expenses there. Um, Canva has been a big one that we switched over to and the the time savings with that, as opposed to using um, Adobe InDesign in the past. I mean, that's hours and hours of time saved. So anything that we can do to bring in technology or kind of consolidate and reduce the amount of time someone has to spend on it is all dollars and cents, you know?
1: Well, that well, that's awesome. Um, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of just share a little bit about you, Bear, technology, and everything else. And I'm I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there. Um, when the, the more we grow a, as a podcast, mm-hmm. the more we're going to see more more of these type of interviews because I kind of want to get different opinion, like. I'm going to be inviting a couple of architects out from South Florida to give us their opinion and their, their history as they kind of progress mm-hmm. through the career. But, you know, uh, knowing full well, I was I did some work with Bear, I think, before you showed up. And then when you showed up, I, I, I think there's there was a huge improvement in the, the way they kind of the language or the lingo that was occurring between the architect and the contractor mm-hmm. was getting it was becoming more fluid with, with someone there on staff that could understand the yeah. same language and in the difficulties between drawings and in construction.
0: And I think that that's definitely what we try to um, improve on as compared to maybe other general contractors you might've worked with. I'm not here to try and make one side or the other win on any certain issue. I'm just trying to make sure that the project gets completed and we're all okay at the end of the day, walking away from it. Um, yeah, it, uh, nothing against general contractors. I feel like part of my responsibility is also communication with the architect because architects would rather have a kind of conversation, especially if we're talking like VE or something where we understand the budget has to go down. I'm not trying to just chop your building in half or anything. I'm trying to say, how do we lightly touch this to remove costs, but leave your design intent and everything. It's a lot more careful conversation that I think I could typically have with the architects and engineers, as opposed to some of the other people in the office that might just say, eh, it's my way or the highway. You know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think if anybody does a contractor and, and it's big enough to be able to take on uh, somebody like it, that plays your role, and it, it would be beneficial. Uh, mm-hmm. With that, with that said, I think uh, I appreciate you kind of taking the time uh, to j- join us in the podcast, and uh, you know maybe we'll have another one and we'll kind of maybe focus on some of the more mm-hmm. detailed technology and uh, and just have you mm-hmm. show us some of the equipment, and that would be pretty cool. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Always welcome for for more of it. And um, if you haven't spoke on the city of Pensacola and the growth that we're going through at the moment, I mean, when you have some people up from South Florida, the statistic I've been telling people is probably over the next 10 years is a billion dollars worth of development, which someone from Miami might not see that as a huge number because they probably have a couple billion dollars of development. But for a small town like Pensacola, that's a lot of growth and a lot of action happening here. So there's there's no shortage of it. Awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. Appreciate it.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the T-Squared Dads Brown Bag Podcast. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and we will talk to you next time.